All right, good morning. It's good to see everyone. It's um, almost axiomatic that a basic tenet of the uh, American legal system is that a person is always entitled to be uh, represented by an attorney. But as we'll see, in the eyes of halacha, that's uh, not necessarily the case. The Pasuk tells us in this coming week's parasha that if two people will be involved in a monetary dispute, Ad ho Elohim nehem, that each one should present their argument before the Elohim, which in this context refers to the judges. So the Mechilta comments on that Pasuk, Ad ho Elohim nehem, Shlo yamid goyrin, that a person should not appoint a uh, defense attorney. So the Torah Tamima takes the opportunity on that Pasuk to, uh, to uh, rail against uh, attorneys in general because he uh, claims they are unscrupulous individuals who uh, won't hesitate uh, to perpetrate a lie in order to prevail in court, which uh, I don't think is so far from uh, the reality that, uh, that uh, we experience as well. So the Torah Tamima claims that it's a violation of this uh, comment of the Mechilta. However, the comment of the Mechilta, as the Torah Tamima admits, does not appear elsewhere uh, throughout the uh, Shas and does not appear as well in the Shulchan Aruch. So in terms of an authoritative source for prohibiting uh, attorneys, uh, it's not really going to be enough with this uh, Mechilta. But there are other sources, as we'll see, that might, which the Tartamim himself marshaled, which might, um, which might perhaps preclude the presence of an attorney uh, in Beisdin. The Tartamim was concerned, as uh, the Mechilta finds itself in the Pesach as well, Midvar Sheker Tirchak, that uh, one has to distance himself from lying in general, of course, but uh, particularly in the setting of a Beisdin, when there's money at stake, one has to distance himself from a lie, and uh, attorneys won't hesitate uh, to, to lie, and therefore it's, uh, it's a problem not only of Adho Elohim Yavodavar Shnehem, that each uh, person should present their argument directly to the judge, but also the presence of an attorney might lead to a violation of Midvar Shekatirchak. But again, the Mechilta doesn't appear in Shulchan Aruch, doesn't appear, it's not echoed elsewhere in, uh, in uh, Talmud Bavli, so as an authoritative source, it's really not going to be enough. But the Gemara does tell us in Mesechlis Marcus over here, Ois Gimel, commenting the Pesach and Parashas Shoftim, in connection with uh, criminal punishment, Al pi shnayim edim, o shlosha edim yumas hameis, lo yumas al pi eid echad. So the Gemara comments, Al pi shnayim edim, shalot tehei sanhedrin shomas mi pia haturgamon that the uh, in the, the judges, should hear testimony directly from the witnesses and not for, through an interpreter. So the Gemara continues, There was once uh, two uh, parties uh, who came before Rava who only spoke laws. They didn't speak the, uh, the language of Rava or whatever was spoken in that part of the world. So Uki Rava Turgaman Badayu. So Rava appointed uh, an interpreter. So, uh, so you see, Hevehechi Avedachi Vatanash Lo Tei Sanhedrin Shomas Piyam Turgaman. We already said derived from the pasuk in Parshas Shoftim of Pishnayim Edim that they have to hear it directly from the witnesses. You're not supposed to have an interpreter. Sigmar so says Rava Meida Hu Have Yoda Mada Have Amri. He understood the language. You know, oftentimes people can understand Yiddish, understand Hebrew. Or understand French, but they can't necessarily uh, respond or speak the language themselves. So Rava understood what they were saying. He didn't know how to respond, so, but he understood what they were saying. So since he understood what they were saying, that was enough to satisfy Alpishnaim Adim, even though he wasn't able to respond. And for that is what he inter- appointed an interpreter. What is the problem with an interpreter? So the Nemuka Yosef and that Gemara. Uh, suggests because Shema Yachlef Haturgaman Veloshana Edos. First of all, you know, it's gonna, the, the Maturgaman is gonna use synonyms or other language in order to convey what the Edom are saying, and it's perhaps we'll, we'll lose something in translation. Viod, 
Because they can be cross-examined uh, more easily in the language that they're speaking. If it has to be interpreted, and then you have to go through an interpreter, it's uh, much harder to cross-examine uh, the witnesses. This, uh, Because of this halacha, that one has to hear the testimony of the witnesses directly from the witnesses and not through an interpreter, so the Gemara says, when we're choosing Dayanim, we should choose Dayanim who are multilingual who are able to speak more than one language. And I think that's the reality in Eretz Yisrael. Most of the Dayanim are certainly fluent in English, but in Yiddish and uh, Hebrew, but perhaps even uh, Russian and, and other languages which are common in Eretz Yisrael today. And that's what the Gemara says is really the ideal situation, that when you're appointing Dayanim, so it shouldn't be, it should be people of stature who cannot be easily intimidated, Bali Koima, Bali Chachma, Bali Mara, Bali Zikna, Bali Kshafim, they have to know, uh, you know, magic as well in order to adjudicate certain cases properly, but also the Yoyed and B'Shivim Loshan, they have to know all languages, Shalot Hei Sanhedri, Shomas Mi and also so in order so that they should not require an interpreter. So what's the, again, what's the concern with having an interpreter there? So the Marsha echoes the Namukha Yosef that we had earlier. He says, V'tama Inyan, in order so that something should not be lost in translation, because something will get lost. And in order to make sure that the testimony is uh, conveyed in its fullest sense, we should make sure that the Dayanim are able to speak the language of the Yedim. Rashi uh, there gives a different interpretation in Masech the Sanhedrin. He says, because otherwise it will be hearsay. Normally hearsay, uh, aid me P8, is if I have uh, one person heard somebody else say something outside of court, and then they testify that so-and-so uh, said something outside of court, and they're repeating it, reiterating it in court. So our only source of the information is something that you heard someone else say. But that initial statement was outside of court. Rashi claims even if the first witness is in court, he's sitting right next to the interpreter. But the Bazin cannot hear it, can understand it from the aid. It's only because there's an interpreter who's there. So that's considered to be like a form of hearsay. That's aid me P8, and therefore uh, it's not valid. However, this Gemara, the Pasuk that's, uh, that was quoted, is really discussing uh, Eidos, testimony. And in fact, Rashi highlights that when he says the real problem is not even that you'll be misunderstood or a lack of uh, ability to cross-examine, but it's because of hearsay, of aid me P8. The Rambam, though in Parakah extends this as well to the litigants, to the parties, not only to the Yedim. That the Dayan should not have an interpreter there, rather, it should be uh, able to understand the arguments of the two parties as well, and not through only an interpreter. He says, if I can understand them speak, but he can't respond, okay, that was Rav's precedent, and an interpreter can be appointed. But he really has to be able to at least understand the testimony of the first time. So the Rambam extended this halacha not only not only to Edom, which is what the Pasuk is really discussing, the Rambam extended that to the litigants as well. This machlokas between what seems to be Rashi and the Rambam is mi pihem, uh, you know, al we have to hear it from them, and that, as opposed to an interpreter, might be uh, manifest itself uh, as well in another sif in Shulchan Aruch, and that uh, uh, in Chayshim Mishpat, over here, Oizvav, the guys to different halacha. The Shulchan Aruch Paskins, he quotes in the name of the Rivash, that uh, when people are submitting their claims, the parties, they have to submit it orally, cannot submit a written um, uh, statement of your claim. It says, You have to hear it from their mouth. Why should you have to hear it orally? The Rivash says, because 
The Gemara has a rule in Mesechtas Gittin that when um, uh, and Ksubis and elsewhere, when uh, when Adam are submitting their testimony, it cannot be done in the form of an affidavit. Affidavits are not valid in a Beisdin. It has to be uh, oral testimony. The one exception to this, of course, is a star, is a document that's written by a person who obligates himself in something, um, and then witnesses sign at the bottom. Star is an exception to the rule of mipihem velomi piksavam. When you have a, a document of sale or star kiddushin, a star gittin, those are exceptions to the rule. But the general rule is testimony has to be submitted orally. We don't accept an affidavit in court. Mipihem because has to be from their mouth velomi piksavam, not from their written word. So the Rivash says the same is true with regards to the the litigants submitting their claims. It has to be mipihem. Uh, it has to be submitted orally. The Ramah there, quotes on the Mukha Yosef and Baba Basra, disagrees. Mihu, in Beis Baladinim Roitz and Litan Beksav, he says, as long as they both, it's protocol of Beis, and of course, to submit oral uh, claims. But if they'll both agree to submit written claims, Harashus Biyadan, they can make such an arrangement. And once they submit a written claim, they can't retract. as the status of testimony, in a certain sense. So the Ramah is happy to accept this as long as it's uh, mutual. As long as it's both parties agree to it. So it seems to be that the Ramah is, uh, is uh, following the path of Rashi, that mipihem, below mipik savam, doesn't apply to uh, litigants, it applies to the witnesses. Witnesses, even if we both agree, cannot submit affidavits. Affidavits are not acceptable in court. It has to be submitted orally, testimony, but the arguments of the litigants perhaps can, uh, their claims can be submitted, uh, written uh, statements, if that's what's agreed to by the parties. So that's the, it seems to be this same machlokas between uh, Rashi uh, and the Rambam is mipihem velomi piksavam, mipihem velomi pimaturgaman, is that only with regards to the witnesses or even with regards to the litigants. Just like the Shulchan Aruch said, you should not accept written claims. So Shulchan Aruch, like the Rambam, mipihem velomi piksavam, it shouldn't be a written claim, it should be an oral claim. Uh, so the Shulchan Aruch also uh, quotes the Rambam that um, not only can witnesses not submit their testimony um, through an interpreter, but a, uh, a Baledinim also have to submit their claims. Uh, the Dayanim have to hear it directly from them. It cannot be through an interpreter. So Shulchan Aruch writes over here, He should not hear not only testimony, but the claims of the parties as well. If he doesn't know, uh, uh, you know, he knows how to, to understand, but he doesn't know how to respond, then we already have the precedent of Rava that, a, uh, that an interpreter can be uh, appointed. But otherwise, the Shulchan Aruch understood, Mipihem, Velomi Pimaturgaman, is not only by Aden, but is with regards to the litigants uh, as well. However, this makes life quite difficult if you're dealing with people who don't speak the language of the Dayanim. So the Pisrei Tshuva, Quotes from the Radvaz and from the Bach. If you look at the Rambam earlier in Oizayin, when the Rambam is bringing this halacha, not uh, you know with regards to the procedures of Bezin, but who's uh, ideal candidate to be a Dayan. So we said the ideal candidate to be a Dayan is, 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 should be multilingual. So you should be able to understand the, uh, the witnesses and the litigants in their vernacular. So the Rambam says over here, Perak Beis Hoksan Hedrulachavav, that V'tzarach Lehishtadel, we have to do our best. They should be men of stature. So they shouldn't have to hear it from a translator. So the Ramam here says, Tzarech implies like we should do our best, 
But if we don't have a guy here who speaks, you know, uh, some, some ridiculous language, you know, spoke somewhere in the world, and it happens to be, appears before Din Tairo, uh, you know, before us, uh, who are we going to have that speaks that language? So we're going to have to get an interpreter. So it sounds like, okay, in that situation, it's all right. That's what it sounds like from the realm. He says, so we have to do our best that they should have multilingual dayonim. But if it's not possible, it's not possible. So the, the Pisgah Tshuva here uh, in Oisches quotes from the Radvaz, who was medayik like that in the language of the Rambam, that this halacha mipihem v'lo mipimeturgamon is really by witnesses. By witnesses, you cannot have an uh, interpreter. The basin has to hear it from the witnesses. Otherwise, something's lost in translation. They can't cross-examine the witness. But the Baledinim, that's not what the Pesach is talking about. The Pesach is really talking about witnesses. The Baledinim was an extension of the Rambam. Uh, the Rambam didn't mean to take it that far. He meant to say, the they should be able to hear it from the Baledinim themselves, but if it's not possible, it's not possible, as we saw from Rava already. Rava appointed um, uh, an interpreter uh, for the, when the two part, when he could, was uh, able to understand, but he wasn't able to respond. So you see, we do, it would be best if we would be able to respond as well in their language. But we see when we're dealing with the litigants that there is some wiggle room. Uh, yeah, it's best if you should be able, you know, be able to not only understand and, and respond, but Rav already said, if you couldn't respond, an interpreter could be appointed. So Sotu says the Radvaz, that, uh, and the Bach as well, that if we, uh, we can't understand the Baledinim, so then we can't appoint an, an interpreter. The Bach makes the additional point that even if the Pasuk is referring not only to the witnesses, but the Baledinim, that Pasuk is with regards to capital punishment. So then to, to make two jumps, not only from the witnesses to the litigants, but from Dine Nefashos to Dine Mominos, that seems like, uh, seems like a lot. So therefore, the Pesach is of the opinion, if it's just not possible to find Dayan who speak that language, then an interpreter could be appointed. The Chazanish is not having any of it. If you look over here, Oistes, Chazanish quotes this, the, Pesach, the last line, two lines of Oistes, he says, It's a din midrabanan, it's an extension of the real din, and when it's not possible, they never made exera. He says, Chazanish rejects this entirely. No, you cannot have any interpreter at all. So, so what do we, this halacha extent is applies to Edom, applies to, to Baledinim, and you have to, you don't necessarily have to respond in that language, but you have to at least be able to understand the language of the witnesses and the baledinim. Otherwise, stuff gets lost in translation. So what do we do? If a guy appears before Bezin, he push it, doesn't speak the language, and we don't have any Dayan who speaks his language. So the Sma, over here, Oistes, suggests that at least if both parties agree to use an interpreter, so then it can be allowed. Because if you look back at that, at the Sif and Shulchanach, where this appears, that you're not allowed to have an interpreter, so the Shulchan Aruch says in Oisches, uh, quote the Ramah writes, I'm sorry, in the middle of the second line, Ayin la'el simin yud gimel siv gimel. Oftentimes the Ramah is just Mari Makaymer, so significant. The Ramah is telling us, look earlier what I wrote about submitting written claims. The Ramah said, really, of course, you're not supposed to submit written claims, you're supposed to be submitted orally, but if both parties agree, then it can be allowed. Written testimony can never be allowed, even if both parties agree. Written claims can be allowed as long as both parties agree. So the smart claims, what the Ramah here is telling us, is just like I said over there, written claims can be submitted if both parties agree. An interpreter can also be allowed if both parties uh, agree. So the smart claims over here as well, look over here, in the middle, of the, the end of the second line, now, that which nowadays the practice is, 
that we have uh, sometimes other people speaking on behalf of the parties, the assumption is because as long as both parties agree to it, it's as if they have accepted this as the protocol of the Beisden, and therefore even if someone else is presenting their claim on their behalf, since both parties have agreed to it, it's okay. Once both parties have accepted to operate in this fashion, it's acceptable. However, the Chazanish makes the important point, uh, I'll look back at his test, on the other side of the page, he says, uh, the second paragraph, he says, azim. We uh, allow people to have uh, someone else submit their claim, an interpreter, he says, but the, that's because both parties agree to it. He says, you have to ask them, do they agree? It's not enough to assume they agree. If people show up in Bayesian, there's an interpreter there, we have to tell them, the Bayesian should, I don't know if the, it's always done, but the Bayesian should, says the Chazanish, it shouldn't be assumed that that's the way we operate now, and everybody who comes into Bayesian understands that. No, they have Bayesian, says uh, the Chazanish, has to ask them and let them know you have the right to reject an interpreter, to hear the claims from the other party directly, and only, uh, we'll only use an interpreter if you so agree, because otherwise he's not Michael. It can be Michael, but you have to you have to know that you have the option not to be Michael in order to be Michael. No, because it's for the other party's benefit. But if I agree, <coughs> yeah, of course we're dealing with monetary issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, you have the right to, of course, to forego your right to hear the claim from the other party directly. We're going to see why you want to hear the claim from the other party directly is, is to your benefit. So if you're willing to be Michael on that, so then, uh, then it could be allowed. The Chazanishto says, <coughs> if one is going to use an interpreter, he should do so in the following fashion. Look over here, the Ramah says, in Dark Moshe, uh, back at Oiz Yudah, the last line of the first page, he says that a maturgaman is very different than an attorney who pre- presents your claim, than a Morsha, a powerful attorney. <coughs> he says a maturgaman typically, um, he says, is worse than an attorney. In a certain sense. We'll get to an attorney is worse than an interpreter in another sense. But the interpreter, in a certain sense, is worse than the attorney. He says, the They're two separate things, an attorney and a maturgaman. The maturgaman, he says, that's when the baladavar are there, and you have someone translating their claim. But an attorney, usually, typically, the party is not there. We'll get to that in a second. So the Chazanish explains, so the Ramah says, about, that the, in a certain sense, the Maturgaman is worse than the Morsha. <coughs> so the Chazanish explains, why should that be the case? Why should an interpreter be worse than an attorney? So he says over here, Typically an attorney works, so, you know, like while someone else is speaking, you, you know, he pauses every phrase and the uh, interpreter interrupts and translates. Then the guy goes back to speaking, the interpreter interrupts and translates. So it's choppy. Every statement is truncated. So it says the Chazinish, it's very hard for the Dayanim to process or certainly to respond to claims when everything is, uh, is constantly being interrupted. So, you know, they're just <coughs> struggling to understand. So the Chazinish, as opposed to an attorney, if he's going to present the claim on behalf, of his, uh, on behalf of his client, so then he'll present the entire claim, you know, continuously, without interruption. So the Chazidish claims that that's preferable. So if one is going to use an uh, interpreter, someone else is going to present the claim on behalf of the party, it should be presented uh, seamlessly, meaning that the party should express his claim to the interpreter, finish what he's saying, and allow the interpreter, although it's not ideal, because he's going to have to paraphrase and you know, interpret and whatever, but if both parties agree, it can be allowed, but he should present his claim 
in its entirety. It shouldn't be constantly interrupting. That's there's no it's no way to conduct it in Torah. The whole point, I mean, the purpose of the lawyer is to enhance your case. The maternity is because you're. We'll have to see if that's the yeah. That's the I mean, purpose of an attorney in, in American court. Yeah. Uh-huh. But the, I mean, the maternity is because the judge, the dying, doesn't understand that's the plan D. Correct, but it shouldn't be choppy. It should be someone's going to present your claim. You're not able to present it on your own, but it should be presented. You know, Simo, it shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be choppy. But the attorney, at least, is in the language that the Baldin could understand. If he doesn't like what he's saying, he could interject. The he's not sure what he's saying. Right, it's not ideal. It's not ideal for anybody. No, that's, that's why the is worse, because I don't know we know what he's saying. He, ah, he's, ah, he's, ah, he's, ah, like, ah. As an attorney, I could hear what he's saying, and I could say, no, that's not what I meant. I right. I interject, but Maturgman, there's no way for the Baldin team to even know what he's right. saying. Right, yeah, it's, it's really not ideal, yeah. He might be misrepresenting the whole claim. Okay, right. right. You're at the mercy of this interpreter. Yeah, we have to assume the interpreter is reliable in, uh, in his uh, interpretation. Okay, so in a certain sense, the interpreter is better than the, uh, is worse than the attorney because the attorney will present a claim in its entirety. If one is going to use an interpreter, it should present it in its entirety. But we said an interpreter really should not be, you know, it's not ideal. It should be PM, Vilomi, PM, Come on. It should really be able to hear the, the arguments, the claims of the Baladinim themselves, just like testimony. <laughs> but if both parties agree, then we said it can be allowed. But in a certain sense, we said so an attorney is a little bit better than a Torgaman who's constantly interrupting his client. But in, a, in another sense, the attorney is much worse than the Metorgamon. Because the Metorgamon, uh, hopefully, is just presenting the claims of the party. Uh, an attorney is usually there to embellish uh, the claims of the, or, or to enhance the arguments of the party. Right. So the Mishnah tells us in Mesechtus Ovis, that Yehuda ben Tabai, Omer al-tas A person should not make himself like an attorney. Not only should he not be an attorney, now make yourself like an attorney. What does that mean? So uh, the Rambam says, You should not supposed to educate them or train them in arguments that will serve the, their benefit in court. Or argue this way or that way, even if he knows, says the Rambam, that his party is correct. Who also he knows he's, uh, he's getting uh, swindled. You're not supposed to teach people how to make their arguments in court. Vishabaldino Tony Lobeshek. He knows the other guy is lying. Based on you know his interpretation of events. You're not allowed to educate him how to submit a better claim. The uh, Bartanura says the same thing as the Rambam, but perhaps with a slight difference. The Bartanura says, He says, like people who arrange the arguments on behalf of their clients in court, you're not supposed to educate them as, as, uh, as far as the Allah is concerned, not only to teach him how to present his case in court, but even to tell him what the Allah is so he'll know how to present his case in court is also included. Do this so you'll be successful in court. You're not allowed to do that or even just to tell him the halacha so he'll know how to better present his case in court. Even though you know that he's correct. Isn't that law school? I mean, isn't that what they're teaching in law school? Yeah, but I, I, I said, we're, we're, this is cult, I know it's culturally different than us, but that, that we are... Uh, that, that might not be acceptable in the eyes of Allah, or certainly, uh, certainly uh, you know, viewed positively. So, so what defines a lawyer? We'll get to, we'll, let's, let's flesh out the topic, and then if, uh, if there's still areas of unclarity, you'll, you'll ask. So the Taisi Yantar points out from the Bartanur, it sounds like the Bartanur says, Take steps to assure that you'll be successful in court. But the Taisi Yantar says the, the Bartanur never discusses just plain giving advice. Meaning, I tell you, make this argument or that argument, 
maybe the Bartanur wouldn't have a problem with that. He, he agrees that the Rambam never mentioned about, you know, taking steps or actions to make sure you'll be successful in court, but the Bartanur seems to stress, Lomelo Asekach, take certain actions to make sure you'll be successful. Sounds like that's the problem. But just to make an argument, uh, perhaps would not be a problem for the Bartanur. That's the, uh, the diuk of the Taisis Yantiv. This is expressed, though, this Mishnah uh, Masech Tosavos is found in the Gemara Masech Tosavos with regards to a very interesting case. The Gemara says that uh, uh, an almana is supposed to be supported by the estate of her late husband until she petitions to be paid the Ksuba. If she'll petition to receive the value of the Ksuba, she's no longer supported by the estate, but until she does so, uh, her, she's supported by the estate. But that's only basic support. So, uh, so you know, her living expenses. That's part of what she's entitled to from the estate. But if there's a lump sum payment, a one-time payment, you know, let's say, um, you know, let's say she needs, you know, ongoing medical care, you know, standard health insurance. So that she's entitled to from the estate of her late husband until she petitions to be paid out by the ksuba. And that, that money cannot be, that expense cannot be deducted from the value of the ksuba. That the estate is required to, to support her. Let's say, though, it's a one-time payment. She needs uh, a one-time procedure. It's not ongoing medical care, which could be categorized as support. It's a one-time medical procedure that she needs. That's not ongoing. That she's not entitled to from the estate. And if uh, they do pay for it, it will be deducted from the sum that she's entitled to in the ksuba. That's the halacha. So the Gemara to discuss in Masech Tzuba is the following case. Crave the Rabbi Yechanan, with certain relatives of Rabbi Yechanan, Havala Issa Abba, they had a... uh, a certain uh, widow that had a lien on their estate, meaning because uh, she was a widow of one of their relatives. And she needed ongoing medical care. So she's entitled to from the estate. So they came before Rabbi Yechanan, and they said, look, this is a great expense. So he gave them an idea. Go to a doctor, pay him a lump sum payment. I guess you get an actuary, figure out how long she'll live. And uh, make a lump sum payment that will take care of, you know, foreseeable future of this medical, of her medical care. Now it's a one-time lump sum payment. Now she's not entitled to from the estate. And the value of that will be deducted from the sum that she's entitled to in the ksuba. So that's what they did to this poor Almana. So, Afterwards, he had charata that he gave them this advice to make a lump sum payment as opposed to ongoing support because he said, I made myself into a lawyer. That's exactly what the mission of Masechus Office encourages us not to do. So this was free legal advice. Again, he wasn't being paid over here, you know, to offer this advice. And it was even on behalf of one of his relatives. Nonetheless, Rabbi Yechanan regretted that he gave them this advice. This is a violation of Asinu Atzmach even though he just advised them of the halacha, that if you make a one-time payment, you will you know, be able to deduct from the sum of the ksuba, uh, it's still, uh, he wasn't telling them anything's inappropriate, he wasn't telling them the lie, uh, just uh, operating in that fashion is frowned upon by the Mishnah Dayanim. So therefore, the Ramah writes over here, that if a Tamukhacham is asked about a monetary dispute, He's not supposed to respond. You're not supposed to say, say, look, if you have a dispute with somebody else, go before it in Torah. You're not even allowed to advise people what the halacha is. Because uh, by advising them what the halacha is, so they might learn from, uh, from your explanation how to best formulate their arguments to be successful in court, and they'll learn how to lie to be successful. Once we know what the court is looking for, it's easier to lie. So therefore, the Shulchan Aruch says, the Ramah says, 
Meaning say, well, if they, this is the case, that's the halacha. If this is the case, that's the halacha. You're not supposed to do that. Or she yet to believe psak, or even just to tell him your chavis dots without a psak, unless he's going to sit before the entire and hear both parties. They might come to learn how to lie. Yeah, he emphasizes ksiva, but it would even be uh, orally to communicate what that loch is. He's afraid of looking like, you know, whatever, his other concerns also. The Archashokhano says it's an important caveat. He says, let's say people are coming because they don't want to go to a dintara. A guy Pasha wants to know what's the right thing here to do. Oftentimes people ask, they want to know, they don't want to, they don't want, they want to avoid going to a basin. So they want to know what's the right thing to do. So the Archa says, if you're trying to prevent people from going to Basin, then a person can respond. Or let's say a person's going to break a contract, and he doesn't know he's not allowed to break a contract. You're allowed to tell him, Rabid, you cannot break this contract. You have to, you know, uh, you have to stick to that. Or if uh, the, the machlux is going, only going to fester further, if you don't uh, advise uh, the parties what the halacha is, then, say, you know, to go to Basin, once it goes to Basin, Hasmonis, and then you know, Zablaz, and then this Basin, and that Basin, before you know it, you have a community uh, catastrophe on your hands. So the Archa Shulchan says, if it's in order to prevent Machlaikas, then it can be, uh, it can be a God, or a guy just push it, wants to know what to do. So the Archa, I mean, you know, he has no intention of going to Basin. He wants to know what the right thing is to do, so then uh, one can advise them as to what the is. But if there's any sense that this might actually end up in Basin, you're not supposed, the Tamachachim is not supposed, and therefore one should not ask either, now, what is the halacha, theoretically, you know, theoretically, in, in such a case? Because that could encourage people to learn how to formulate their arguments in a way that could, uh, they'll be successful in court, but also might tempt them to, to lie in order to improve their case. When they believe they're right, people will say, well, I'm lying, but I know I'm right, even though the claim that I'm submitting is a false claim, but I know I'm right, so I'm really not doing anything wrong. That's how people are justified to themselves. So because of that justification, we, we're afraid, uh, afraid of this. This is, this is free legal advice. I, uh, you know, stick my nose into someone else's business. Um, that I shouldn't act lawyerly, you know, if, that, if there is such a word. Uh, I shouldn't act like an attorney. But what about to liter- literally be an attorney? Someone uh, gives you a power of attorney to argue their case on, uh, on their behalf. So the Gemara says over here, How do you know? that one of the Baladinim is not supposed to have an ex parte discussion, which means he's not supposed to present his case to the judge before the other party arrives. How do you know you're not supposed to do that? Uh, because uh, you're supposed to distance yourself from falsehood. How so? Because if I present, uh, you know, if the other party is there, I have a harder, most people, unless they're pathological liars or uh, sociopaths, would have a hard time lying in front of someone who knows they're lying. It's a natural human uh, limitation that Baruch Hashem we have. We have a hard time lying when someone knows we're lying. So the Gemara uh, says, is therefore you have to wait for the other party to arrive. Because if the other party's not there, it's just me and the judge, I'll have an easier time lying than if the other party is staring me in the face. Fine. So in that context, the Gemara says, That's a person who can say, that you did something that was improper in the midst of my nation. Rav Omar Zeh that's a person who comes with power of attorney to present someone else's case. That's also Asher Lo Tov Amov. What's the concern here? The same concern. If a Baldin has to present his own case, um, so then uh, you know, he has a harder time lying if there's someone else staring him in the face. But if I don't have to lie, I give it to my attorney. My attorney lies for me. He doesn't even know that I'm lying. He'll have an easy time doing it. So, so therefore, you're not supposed to give power of attorney to somebody else. You're really supposed to submit your claims on your own. 
because it's easier for people to lie. Same concern of midvar shekatirchak. Tosis there writes though that that's only assuming that you can retrieve your claim, meaning I can't present the arguments myself. Let's say I have a difficult time presenting my arguments. The guy's either just not, you know, articulate, or he's, he, he's, he's simply unable to make it to the court date. So Tysus writes, When is it frowned upon? When I, uh, uh, when I uh, hire representation for me who's stronger than I am and who knows how to present slippery arguments in court and it's not, nothing to do with him, then you're not supposed to hire an attorney. I'm uh, trying to retrieve money on behalf of my friend, my other friend possibly will not be able to be successful in court, either he won't be able to be there or he's simply not articulate. So then uh, one would be able to hire uh, an attorney to present his case on his behalf, if it's not possible in any other way. So that's, though, if I want, yeah? Why should it matter if he's not articulate? It's the job of the dying to, to get the truth. I mean, that, that is going in the other direction. If somebody who is more eloquent and who makes a better appearance, that's being loyally. You're right. It might be the job of the dying also to. Uh, <laughs> you're 100 percent right. If the dying will fulfill his responsibility of uh, coaching the litigant to get his argument out in a coherent fashion, you're right. The attorney wouldn't be present. But let's say the guy. Let's go back to the more obvious case. We might be afraid the dying won't fulfill his responsibility in that regard. But and therefore, I want to hire an attorney just because I know you know the guy can't get something out straight. But, uh, but let's say a more simple case, he's not able to be there. He's not able to make the case, so then he's allowed to hire an attorney to represent him. So the, the Rashba here quotes from the Aruch and Rabbeinu Hanano that this is not only true with regards to the plaintiff, it should be true with regards to the defendant as well. He could also hire representation if he won't be able to represent himself. Let's say he can't make the court date, he's allowed to hire an attorney to, to, to be present for him. However, the Rashba quotes from Rav Sadiga and the truth of the Rif that no, this, uh, this ability to appoint an attorney to represent you is only with regards to the plaintiff, not the defendant. Why? For two reasons. The first is the plaintiff has a monetary claim. A monetary claim is something to be sold in court. If, you know, people buy lawsuits all the time, hoping that they'll win in court, and uh, you know, they'll uh, make back, make a profit on their investment in buying the lawsuit. So it's a monetary item that could be sold and assigned to an attorney. I could give power to an attorney for a legal claim. You can't sell a defense, uh, you know, position to defend yourself. That's not something that can be transferred to or assigned to an attorney. But moreover, uh, Rav and the Riff argue that the venue is determined usually by the, uh, by the nitva, by the defendant. That's the venue uh, the, uh, that's chosen for the, um, for the dintera. It's usually not based on the plaintiff. So the plaintiff oftentimes might not be able to make um, uh, might not be able to make the the dintera because it's not going to be taking place in his vicinity. The nitva should always be able to be there because it's taking place nearby. So this courtesy of being able to appoint an attorney perhaps only extends to the tovea to the plaintiff, not to the defendant. Rabbi Chanan actually has a raya to this position from the Gemara Masechet Bavakama. The Gemara tells in Bavakama over here. Uh, that if you have Reuven who sells a field to Shimon, that means that there's a loan already on the field, a, a, a lien on the field, and Shimon is concerned that if the property will be seized by the previous loan, that uh, he'll lose his money. So he makes up, which is a logical arrangement, that if the field gets seized, I want my money back. That's the argument, that's the arrangement that they have. So then the, you know, the, the creditor comes to take the field, inevitably. 
So, not always, but Shimon, who bought the field, doesn't know this creditor. He doesn't know if the claim is legitimate or not. So he's going to have to argue a case in Basel, which he really is hamstrung. He doesn't know this creditor. He, doesn't, you know, he never investigated in that a formal title search. He didn't investigate all liens. You know, he's, in case there's any lien, he says, I want to be reimbursed if the property gets seized. So Dina, who Dina Baday. So the creditor cannot prevent Ruven from coming to court and arguing with the creditor. He can't throw him out of court and say, you're not a party here. I don't know what that's called. You have no standing in this case. He does have standing. What's his standing? He says, if you're going to seize the field from Shimon, Shimon's going to come to get reimbursed for me. So he has standing in court. So Bokhanan is medallic from that the Gemara over here in the Kovitz Biurim. He says that implies that you need uh, standing uh, to be there to serve as a defendant, uh, you know, on behalf of the defendant. Why do I need legal standing? But why can't he hire me as attorney? Let him, uh, let him hire, let Shimon hire Reuven as his attorney. So why does the Gemara need to say he has legal standing in this case because uh, the, the Shimon will have recourse against me? Just say that he can hire Reuven as his attorney if he wants Reuven to be there. So it says to Bokhanan, it sounds like from here that the Nitva cannot hire an attorney. A Tovea might not be able to be in Bezin. He can hire an attorney. But the Nitva cannot hire an attorney because he should always be able to be there. And, uh, and uh, the Gemara seems to imply it's only when you have legal standing that you'll have recourse against me. I'm a party to this uh, case, so then you're allowed to be there. But otherwise, the Nitva cannot hire an attorney. So in inherently having a standing in the case of artificially being brought in no, no. An attorney has no... St- uh, uh, no, Reuven, you might come uh, to reclaim your money for me. Yeah, so the lawyer says he's a Valdover. He's a litigant in the case. And a lawyer does not. Have, have no. Same. Right. So, so the Gemara says, so asks, you want to get the guy in the courtroom, hire him as an attorney. No, oh, so you see, you can't. Yeah, it seems like a very that's not the same legal Yeah, it is a blanket. It's a very blanket rule to allow only the plaintiff, not a defendant. Yeah, it's not fair. Yeah. This is counterintuitive from our, yes, from our, from our uh, upbringing. It's counterintuitive. But this is the way it appears in Shulchan Aruch. Over here, Simon Kuk, Chavdal, Sifav, Cheshem, Mishpat, HaNitva, Eino, Yochal, Limnos, Morsha, Sheyava, Lebezdin. The Nitva, the, 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 you know, the defendant is not allowed to appoint an attorney, uh, to assign power of attorney to somebody else. You're not allowed to do that. You have to appear in court yourself because it's in your, um, it's in uh, your venue, it's in, in nearby, in your proximity, therefore you have to show up in court, you can't assign an attorney. The Tovea, who doesn't, you know, won't necessarily be able to make it, he can. So the Shach, uh, though, was already aware that this was common practice, both for the Tovea uh, and the Nitva, to have an attorney, and even the Shach says, even the Tovea is only allowed to appoint an attorney if he can't be there. It's somewhere else. If he lives nearby and he's sitting in court, then you can't have an attorney present your case. You have to do it yourself. It's only, as Tos has told us, you, you know, in order to retrieve your money, that you can't be there. But if you can be there, you have to be there yourself. So the shock says, what's the, what's our, uh, how do we legitimize having an attorney present with his client and presenting his case? There, there seems to be no basis for that. And we do it uh, regularly on behalf of the Tovea as well as on behalf of the Nitva. So the Shach says we have to revert back to that which we mentioned earlier from the Sma with regards to interpreters, that if both parties agree, it can be allowed. So it's also over here, if both parties agree to be represented by attorneys, um, so, then, uh, so then it can be, uh, and submit their claims on their behalf, it can be allowed both on behalf of the Tovea and the Nitva. Even the Tovea can only do it if he can't be present. Otherwise, he can't assign it to somebody else. He has to present the behalf of himself because in order to make sure he's telling the truth, we want to hear it from him. So, so the uh, shah claims it's only based on, on the sma. And the Arach says, 
Now, one second, the Aruch HaShulchan says that was a common practice, was to allow uh, uh, a mursha on behalf of the Tovah, on behalf of the Nitva, as long as both parties agree. So if I'm being sued, I'm the Nitva, I can just tell the, the, the I, I don't agree to uh, a mursha. You don't. You so can. Said, Correct. Right. So in that case, uh, most most of the most cases, we wouldn't, wouldn't get very far without a, without a representation. Then you're agreeing you don't want to be represented either. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a risk. A lot of risk. A lot of people wouldn't want to take. So the Aruch Hashulchan says that uh, it's often beneficial. You know, if people the Dayanim see that the attorneys are making things worse, they can kick them out. The, this is all in order to help people present. Uh, present their arguments. The truth of the matter is, like in American legal system, sometimes the lawyers do half the work on behalf of the judge. They do all the research and they're bringing their precedents and things. So I heard from one very experienced Dian um, that he says he loves the Tarnim. They help him because they do a lot of the... He says, if you have any anivas, you know, sometimes people bring up things you weren't aware of. So he says that they, uh, they, uh, they, they oftentimes help, but if it turns out that they're sometimes making pilpuim and tumaling, too much, so he says he would remove them from the courtroom. Standard practice, I think, is even if you're going to have an attorney present, they ask the Baladinim to present their claims themselves, to at least preserve as much as possible the midvar sheker tirchak, that we shouldn't have, um, you know, that if a person is lying, we should be, you know, should be able to be able to, 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 to see him submit his claim himself to determine whether he's lying, and the attorneys can step in afterwards to perhaps um, flesh, out, uh, flesh out the claim. This, though, is always a very delicate balance. The Shulchan Aruch over here charges Dayanim with two uh, very different agendas. Shulchan Aruch says over here, Simon Yudzayin Siftes, that Ra Hadayin's Chusla Echameham, let's say Hadayin sees that one of the litigants could really make a better argument. He pushed it, cannot connect the dots in order to make his good, you know, his argument. The guy just can't, you know, put together his argument. Maybe he's too emotional or whatever is going on. Or he's just not as smart. So the Pazik says in Sefer Mishlei, that the Beisden has an obligation, a duty, to submit claims on behalf of the party. The judge has the, the duty, the responsibility to extract the details from the party and uh, enable him to formulate what is a strong argument, either because he's entitled to that defense or because it's a responsibility the Beisden has to make sure in the pursuit of justice that everybody presented their best possible case. That's Psach Picha Le'ilem, we should open the mouth of those who are mute. That's one agenda of the Beisden. But then the Shochnar cautions that that has to be, you know, it's a delicate balance. We have to make sure we're not uh, st- taking sides and embellishing one person's case at the expense of another. And that's a difficult balance of Bayes did, but they didn't have to uh, operate with. But oftentimes lawyers can either hurt this process or help that process. But uh, that's something that the Bayes each Bayes has to weigh. We'll just conclude, I thought it was a fascinating idea that Chassam Sefer has in last week's parasha when uh, in the Sarah Sadibus, we have, of course, we have the Pasuk Loy Sirtzach. Not to murder. So we have the Tam Elyon Tam Tachton. There's two trups in which the Sarah Sadibris could be read in. There's Tam Elyon Tam Tachton. So usually that's only with regards to the trup. The Nikud, the vowelization of the of the words, the, the vocalization, the, the way that the, the vowels are arranged, is usually the same. Tam Elyon Tam Tachton. However, in the Pasuk of Losirtzach, there's a difference between the Tam Elyon and the Tam Tachton. And one of them, it's a Kamatz, Losirtzach. And the other one, it's a Pasach, it's Losirtzach. So Sam Seifer quotes from his, uh, his Rebbe from the Baal Flor, Pinchas Levi Horowitz, that he suggested that perhaps it's because uh, Baladinim sometimes have to know to be a komatz, to be, uh, you know, to close their mouth, 
because if uh, you know, to, in, in, the, in the middle of the entire run, sometimes they have to know how to be pasach, how to open their mouth. Because if they open their mouth when they should be closing their mouth, meaning they should let the parties present their claims on their own, and uh, they keep their mouth uh, closed, they could sentence someone to, to death unjustifiably. But sometimes they also have to know, uh, you know that they have to open their mouth on his behalf in order to help him. Sometimes they have to close their mouth, sometimes they open their mouth. And if they get that wrong, they could uh, sentence person uh, to death or to perhaps uh, get a, you know, the verdict in a, in a monetary case wrong as well. So the Chesam Sefer says a delicate balance that the Dayanim have when to know to use a pasach, when to use, to use a come out, to close their mouth, to open their mouth in order to preserve this delicate balance. Okay. So, so true